0: Welcome to London Living. This is a podcast on the challenges we face as modern Londoners. Today we're going to be hearing from PJ Appleton. We asked PJ to share his experience of mental health and resilience. Welcome to London Living. My name is Liz and I've been a member of Christchurch Mayfair for 10 years now. Today I'm joined by PJ who will be talking to us about the issue of mental health and resilience. Welcome PJ.
1: Hello Liz, nice to be here.
0: Tell us, well you've told us your name, but tell us how long have you lived in London? How long have you been a part of Christchurch Mayfair?
1: Well, I can let you into the inner circle and tell you my actual name. Presently. Tell us yeah, I your go by real PJ, name. But Are you ready to be drawn into the inner circle? My actual name is Patrick. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Middle name is Joseph, but I've always been called PJ. Um, so there we go. You now you know. There we go. Um, and I have been at CCM for uh, eight years. I had one year out, uh, so yeah, four years and then one year out and then four years. So yeah, quite a long time.
0: Fantastic. Well we're we're glad to have you back with us. Tell us a bit more about yourself and your job. So what do you do for a living and what does that look like through the lens of a, a typical day?
1: Okay, um so actually it's a it's a year today since I um I've found or co-founded a um small little um sales and marketing consultancy. Uh so we were kind of a lockdown business which was quite scary setting up um a year ago, but um has gone Generally quite well. So we, we basically provide um, sales, um, marketing and PR support to growing prop tech firms, which might not mean much to, to many people. So it's uh, technology providers who are kind of servicing the real estate industry. What does that look like day to day? I mean, literally every day is different. That's what I really enjoy about it. We have kind of six or seven clients and they will have totally different needs. But um, I think one thing is consistent as I speak to my co-founder, probably almost as much as I speak to my wife, like we are on the phone so much, which is quite weird. But we get along very well. And uh, so far, I haven't had too many, too many arguments. So um, lots of back and forth with him, lots of writing, uh, kind of press releases, uh, social media content, uh, sales decks, kind of you know, boring stuff. But um, yeah, it's all good fun.
0: How do you see society around you engage with this issue of of mental health and well-being?
1: I think it's, I mean, it's definitely come up a lot, hasn't it, this year? Um, I think people have been a little bit more open about kind of well-being. I've seen so many webinars and kind of conversations that businesses have had, you know, businesses we're working with who are suddenly talking about, you know, what they're doing to help their uh their employees with their well-being during this time um and i think that that's that's been you know i think a really positive thing that's actually come out of come out of coronavirus is just an ability for people to kind of put their hand up and say yeah this is really hard and actually you know i'm i'm finding life quite quite difficult at the moment and you know this grind is really tough and all that sort of stuff so uh, i th- i think in some ways there have been some some positives people have been talking about it more um i think that's also just kind of followed on from a um, sort of steadily growing kind of um, awareness of well-being and mental health um, in this in this country and other countries um, and I think that's, you know, even in the time I've been in London over the last nine years that's been, I feel like that's been a huge change um, and for the most part a really positive change so I think it's, it's encouraging to see
0: mm. Tell us a bit more about your experience then when was the first time you experienced poor mental health and had to start thinking about these issues
1: yeah I've I've thought about this question a lot um and and I I sort of delve back into my teenage years and I think were there signs that I was struggling you know with mental health even back then but I don't think I was I mean my background is would give kind of no indication uh that that was ever really going to be um an issue or at least certainly you know the way i used to think about things like depression and mental health was that there must be like an obvious cause there must be some kind of kind of trauma or uh awful event that that happened in people's past that causes them to struggle with 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 poor mental health and, and for me that's just not the case at all um i've grown up in you know a kind of really uh loving steady stable kind of family environment um i've never really kind of wanted for anything um can't really point to too many kind of stressful events in my childhood or kind of teenage years or even in my kind of early early adult years and um so, so so there was no real kind of warning sign I think for me when I first started really thinking when I first started grappling with with my own mental health I was uh 24 years old and um I was about sort of yeah two or three years into into my life in London and I think the the, the sort of initial excitement the initial buzz of London life had kind of I had quite worn off, but it suddenly dawned on me that I was, oh my gosh, I've got to go to work every day. I've got to pay bills. I'm, I'm, I'm like an adult now. There's nothing nothing to, to look forward to uh, anymore. This is it. And I remember I joined uh, a new um, company. It was a PR agency, not a million miles away from here, um, over in Westminster. And I just remember kind of this sort of period over the autumn of 2014, where I felt more and more stressed and more and more anxious and more and more sort of fixated on things that that really didn't demand that much of my attention or worry. Um, you know, small work tasks I suddenly became quite sort of stressed out by. And that then turned into just this steady, <clears throat> creeping feeling of kind of a sort of dread or fear is what I kind of liken it to. And I couldn't, can't tell you what I was afraid of, but I just felt scared. I felt uh, empty. I felt uh, like something was out to get me. I felt frightened. I felt kind of worthless. Um, I felt a real absence of joy uh, in things that previously I'd I found real joy in. You know, relationships. Um, yeah, going out with friends, playing football, you know, watching TV shows, all that sort of stuff. Just, just every piece of joy was just sapped from the things I previously enjoyed. And I just felt totally, totally empty and just like a kind of shell of myself. I was still me in the sense that when I looked in the mirror, I could... Physically, I was me, but inside, just nothing, just emptiness. And I just became, you know, really... I just had these feelings of kind of complete lack of hope for the future. Like, nothing, I'd never, ever feel... You know, sort of happy again, I guess. And um, and the way that that sort of manifested itself at work was, I was just sort of, I'd sit and I'd do my job, and I just remember sort of sitting behind my my computer screen and 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 just the, the just these feelings were welling up inside me, and I'd just start crying at my desk. Unfortunately, we were sort of worked in sort of cubicles almost, so my colleagues couldn't couldn't always sort of see that that was the case, but. I would sort of take myself off to the bathroom or, or go for a walk around the block and I would just cry. And I didn't know why I was crying. There was nothing I could put my finger on. Um, I wasn't sad about anything in particular. I just didn't want to be here anymore. And I just thought this life has no value, no purpose, no joy in it. And it's so hard to get out of bed and come into work every day that I just, I just don't want to do this anymore. And, I remember struggling with these feelings so much and I was still just about managing to go into work and I remember we had a big work meeting and it was with our big clients and, and normally I'm pretty, I was, I, am, I was quite talkative at work and uh, we had an internal meeting and, and I didn't say a single word throughout the meeting because I knew if I spoke up I'd just start crying and um, my boss, really lovely, wise wise lady said oh um, pj can you stay behind after this and and I, I knew that she'd sort of seen something's wrong she said oh um, like i just wondered if you wanted to if you wanted to, to tell me anything and the floodgates just burst open and i just sat there and i was just inconsolable i was shaking my heart rate was just spiking i, I basically had a kind of panic attack on her and um, she was so so steady and so sweet and she just sat there and and just sort of sat there and listened and just was just kind of with me uh in that moment and I said and it was the first person I'd ever said these words to I said oh, I think I've got I've got depression I'm I feel really depressed and um she said yeah I think that's I think that is right I think I think that I think you do um I've had depression and um and even her just saying that really, really helped me. Um, and she said, "Look, I think you should go to the doctor. I think you should. Um, I think you should uh, try and see um, see somebody and talk, talk, talk about this. Um, you know, do you have some friends that you could share this with?" And that was wonderful advice. And, and really, I took myself off to the doctor, and they kind of confirmed, yeah, that I was struggling with, with depression and kind of a good dose of uh, anxiety heaped in there as well. I, I met up with a counsellor. I did kind of six or seven sessions with this counselor, and, and really, he was kind of able to help me begin to, I guess, try and piece back together what felt like a, a scramble in my head. Like all the wiring in my head had become undone. I couldn't process emotion. I couldn't process kind of anything. I just couldn't think about anything properly. And he kind of helped me just to think about okay, what was happening to me? Um, some of the kind of triggers that might have might have caused it, or not caused it, but might have kind of added to added to the strain. Uh, and helped me to think about ways that I could manage it and all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, as I say went to the doctor, I was put on antidepressants, saw a counsellor, and and really I kind of opened up to a number of friends who I kind of were kind of like my SOS group. I, I started a WhatsApp group with them, and they were there whenever I needed them. And 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 really, this lasted for six months. Six months where I think at, at worst I was, you know just getting out of bed was an achievement. Um, I took time off from work. I was given um, I asked for three weeks off work and. Uh, during that time, was just kind of almost, almost um, bedridden, and um you know, for me, I just had to break each day down into kind of little ten-minute chunks, and kind of just, you know, uh, if I was, if I got out of bed, that was an achievement. If I if I got dressed, that was an achievement. If I had a shower, that was an achievement. If I brushed my teeth, that was an achievement, and that was really my life for the first sort of month, and. I would just cry myself to sleep at night. I would just feel utterly kind of despondent and alone, and it was just awful. It was awful. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, but slowly, slowly, with this kind of counselling, with antidepressants, with kind of sharing my my story a little bit with with friends, with just doing some some basic human things right, like kind of exercising, eating well, sleeping well. It slowly slowly began to recover, and, and I liken recovery to um actually this wonderful book i read at the time um which um was called scaling the cliff or something it had quite a quite a cheesy cheesy name to be honest but um the the analogy was that with 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 when you have a dip in your mental health it's like falling off a cliff and you're at the bottom of the cliff and you're trying to work out how how do i get back up to the top of the cliff to you know inverted commas normal mental health stable mental health and um you don't scale a cliff vertically. You don't, you don't just go straight up a cliff, like, you know, one, one vertical line. Um, you, you climb up a little bit and you, you move to the side. You might drop down a little bit to get a better handhold. Then you might move up again to the side, down a bit, up again. And you kind of slowly work your way back up, but you'll have a bunch of times where you kind of fall down a little bit and all that sort of stuff. And that's exactly what I liken it to because it wasn't a clear kind of trajectory to, to recovery. It was really up and down. There were lots of kind of seasons of, of kind of progress, um, where I thought, great, I've, I've beaten this, it's, it's all over. And then it would come back again in a huge way. And, you know, suddenly I'd find myself, you know, having a panic attack going off to see like my sister, you know, just totally bizarre stuff, right? I couldn't even get out the car. I'd just find myself uh, shaking, sat, you know, I'd have to get off the tube early and I'd just be shaking on a platform, all that kind of stuff, which you just think that's, that's just so not me. Um, combined with weeks of kind of total normality, and and that was how it was for kind of six months. And, you know, since then, my life has has really been about kind of managing that. I, I, I don't believe I'll ever be fully clear of, of depression um, necessarily. Um, you know, that's just my personal belief for myself. For me, it's now managing it and I guess kind of growing with it in a way.
0: Hmm. Could you tell us more about about that, your experience now? Your battle with depression now how does that shape your view of yourself and the world around you
1: yeah great question I mean it's kind of left a like an indelible mark on my life I, I feel already like the the scars from that that first kind of breakdown is what I call it would um you know run pretty deep um I think as I mentioned I, I definitely <clears throat> I definitely manage my mental health um it's it's like it's always with me I'm always aware of it you know from my choice of where I could choose to go on holiday—you know—are there going to be too many people there? Is that going to stress me out? Um, is the—is the—you know—are the people I'm going on a holiday with want to? Are they going to want to drag me out of, of, of bed and take me on all these different excursions? And I'm not going to be in control of like my rest time stuff like that. um Through to you know, w- what choice of job do I do I do I? Do I do i choose to do is there enough flexibility in 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 that job all that sort of stuff So, so practically it has a massive a massive impact but in terms of like how i view myself it's i think in kind of my my worst days my my feelings can become can become facts really really quickly and you know i'm quite a feelings based person anyway in terms of how i make decisions but when i struggle with with dips in my depression which probably happens sort of twice a year and maybe three times a year and last for a week or two at a time during those during those seasons i become the way i sort of process life is just all driven by by my depression by how i'm feeling so my depression kind of tells me that i'm um that i'm worthless so i kind of feel like worthless i'm like you know what is the point of me being being here being being on this earth and that then leads to kind of yeah these presenting symptoms of just kind of sadness and and where i retreat for like a couple of weeks at a time um but it's all about I, I guess in in those moments, I'm just so tempted to look in at myself, and when I look in at myself, I just see nothing. I don't see any like anything kind of really worth living for, frankly, like it's just so empty inside um and and that that like a better question is that, not to correct your question. <laughs> a better question is of like how how doesn't it change my view of myself? It changes everything. Um, it changes everything.
0: You're a Christian. And how does your faith transform that view or impact that view? To what extent does does your faith impact that view?
1: The two sort of biggest ways, I think, are, are firstly the fact that it gives me value uh, outside of myself. And what I mean by that is that, as I said, like when I have a bout of depression, if I look at myself... Um, which is often kind of what count, some counsellors will recommend that people with depression do. They say, you've just got to have a higher view of yourself. You've got to value yourself more, love yourself more. But I can't do that. Like, I just don't understand how that's possible when I feel utterly worthless. Um, I don't understand how I'm supposed to muster those kind of feelings and give myself value. I just can't. Um, it's just impossible to. And as a Christian... I believe that my value comes from, from what, from the way that God views me, and from what He's done for me, and what He's done for me actually is an example of or, or evidence of how He views me. And the Bible has quite a famous phrase. Um, you know, some some people might know who are listening uh, from the Book of John, this account of Jesus' life, and it says, um, you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so when I'm struggling with depression, I don't look inside myself and try and muster up feelings of self-love. I think for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son um, for me um, that I might be restored to relationship with God. And so that has, that has an enormous impact on me because it means that I can look at something that's been done. It's a historical act that's been done for me. And no matter how I feel, no matter... You know, what I do, no matter how fiercely the kind of battle with depression rages, that will never, ever change. It has been done. Um, you know, Jesus has 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 died. He has he has risen to to, to new life and 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 that is a you know, that is how God has, has shown his love for me. Um and that can never be taken away. And so that my my so I guess my value is is tied up in something that's that's not dependent on me. And that's that gives me immense satisfaction. It doesn't mean that in when I'm struggling with depression, I'm I'm like, I just suddenly have this warm, fuzzy feeling, like, great, you know, like God loves me. Woo. No, but I but I, I do have something that I can wrestle um to believe because I do know it's true in my best moments. And so I can say when I'm feeling worthless, no, like my feelings don't have to become facts here. The actual fact is that is that Jesus has died and risen again um in my place. And so that has an immense, an immense, um, impact on, on my, um, suffering. I think the other thing as well is that there's real purpose in the pain. Um, and I think probably as a society, we're not, we, we sort of have that expression, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think that's probably our best way of saying that, yeah, there is purpose in the pain, you know, like it it can be character forming, it can shape your character, it can, can make you a better person, um. And again, as a Christian, um, you know, the Bible says, um, there's a verse in the Bible that says, you know, in, in all things God works for the good of those who, who love him. And and I love God and I know that he is working all things for my good. And that doesn't necessarily mean my happiness um, because a lot of the time I don't feel happy when I'm struggling with depression. But it does mean the Bible has this has this sort of strange sounding word, to, to us these days called sanctification or holiness and I guess it's sort of like my the bettering of my character that I might be more like the person that God wants me to to be um, more like the authentic version of myself who is um who's just just a better person to be honest the nicer person a, a more um more loving person and and I really feel that I really feel that my depression my depression has not been meaningless at all and when I'm not struggling with it I can really really see that. I can see that like I used to be so uh self-obsessed and you know I still am to, to to an extent, but I used to be so arrogant and so just like self-dependent and just like just not particularly nice. And this is really my depression has really like begun to humble humble me to the point to the extent where I'm like I know I'm not the bee's knees. Like I know that I you know I know that I need help from other people i know that i need help from from god and actually that's a really like a wonderful position to be in i feel like people can relate to me a lot more i feel like i can understand people's pain and suffering a lot more and i can help them a lot more um so there's great like there's great purpose in the pain and i really feel that like you know that's that's what christianity says about about suffering it's really awful it's really hard but it's not meaningless it's not purposeless and the final thing i think is that i know one day it will it will end um i believe you know going back to what i was talking about earlier that that because jesus has died in my place i i am right with god now and that one day i will i'll be with him in, in 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 kind of perfect perfect paradise and actually that means that there will be no depression there will be no death there will be no crying and in as much as I want my depression to disappear here and now, and never to have to go go through you know, big bouts of it again, I know that one day, you know, when I die, actually, I will be freed from that, and that will be wonderful. It'll be life as it's meant to be. So, yeah, value, purpose, future—to sum it up, I guess.
0: Is there anything you would say to someone who's listening to this who is struggling with depression at the moment?
1: yeah first off i'm i'm really sorry that's you um my heart genuinely genuinely hurts for you um it is it is really awful and i'm and i'm sorry that you're going through that um i uh yeah i know how hard that is and and yeah and i'm and i'm sorry i think i think in terms of kind of what i what i would advise i'd always say look i'd speak it speak about it um Depression is a horribly isolating illness, and it makes sense because it's a bit like a sort of, um, you know, like a snail. If you go and touch a snail, it'll like disappear back into its shell. That's basically what the person with depression does. You know, it's like, there's too much pain out there. It's everything's too scary. So I need to retreat back into my, into my shell. And that's, that's what I did. But, but don't do that at the expense of not sharing your struggle with somebody that you trust, with one or two people that you trust who can walk with you through, through your, through your struggle, through your suffering. Um, because you know it it's a team it's a team game um and sometimes when when it's too overwhelming for for one person i would just send a whatsapp message to my mates and they'd remind me of things that i've forgotten that you know they love me um you know my my god loves me all this sort of stuff that i needed to hear at the time so i think speak about it be open with kind of trusted people i think be kind to yourself um not in the sense that you go looking for kind of like right, I just need to muster up love for myself but 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 be kind to yourself in the sense that like it is it is a real process, it is a real journey like mental health is not as i say like a you don't just like you know propel yourself straight up the cliff, you know it goes sideways, it goes you you fall down the cliff a little bit sometimes and then you'll scale up again and be kind to yourself in the sense that you allow you allow yourself to be patient um because it does take time to to come back from this stuff. And it's so frustrating. And I got so frustrated at myself when I'd have good weeks, then I'd have a dip, Um, but be patient. And I guess then I'd probably just end with a question, which is like, what is the, what is the anchor in your life that like when everything is stripped from you, you know, when, when there's, when there's no joy to be found in, in stuff in the here and now, what is, what is the thing that can, they can get you through that. What is what is the anchor for your life? And and look, like if you're str- if you're struggling, it's it's hard to answer those deep questions you know, there and then. But but use it as a, as, a, as a springboard to kind of think about some of the some of the bigger things in life. And it might be you conclude that you know oh, I just need to invest more in my friendships. I don't know. But for me, I concluded that I needed to to lean on to lean on God more um, and to accept. Um, what he says about me um, more than what my depression was telling me and that that was the anchor for me and I'd encourage people to think about what it might be for them
0: Thank you PJ Thanks for joining us
1: You're welcome Thank you for listening to this episode of London Living this podcast is put together by Christchurch Mayfair and produced to provoke discussion about the challenges that we face as Londoners living in 2021. If you're interested in the interaction of faith and some of the problems that we face, then why not speak to the friend who shared this podcast with you or find out more at christchurchmayfair.org forward slash London Living.